So uh, for the past couple of months, um, we have been in a message series. We've been doing this all summer, and the name of the series is Reforesting Faith. So if you happen to be visiting or this is your first time coming today, you're coming in at the sort of the end of a series of a, of a topic that we have been talking about, which is okay. You can go back and listen online. But, um, but we've been talking about, really the subtitle says it all, what trees can teach us about God and about ourselves and about the world. And we've been reading all these unique stories throughout the Bible um, that teach us trees are actually sacred. That people have these deep uh, spiritual experiences with God among the trees, like Abraham and Moses did. Um, We see that the Bible gives us a picture um, of trees that give us a picture of what life and fruitfulness is all about. We see this in the Psalms. We see it in uh, Jesus' stories about seeds and fruit and vines and branches. Um, Paul talks about fruit, even in an encounter that Jesus had that we read about last week, where Jesus had this encounter with a fruitless fig tree. Uh, we've also learned about faith and what it means to trust in God and uh, what sacrifice is all about. We looked at a story about uh, this tree of life. We looked at a story about the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then, of course, we talked about the tree on which Jesus gave his life for all of us. So so we can learn uh, so much um, about ourselves and about our world and about God just from looking at trees. And I hope over the whole series you've been just challenged to slow down And look at the trees that we drive by and the plants and the flowers and the vegetation all the time. And just consider what it is we can learn from them. But I want to challenge us in one more way today as we wrap up this series. Because it's not just about learning from trees. There's something else that is essential, especially for people of faith. For people who call themselves followers of Jesus. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we're glad you're here today. But... But, but wherever uh, we are calling ourselves followers of Jesus, there's something about our lives and our faith that is so essential and so central, and it's this. We must care deeply about and for trees. Meaning we must actually care about trees, cherish trees, nurture trees, provide for and protect the beauty and the life and the diversity of the plants and the flowers and the vegetation and the trees that we see all around us in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our environment, on our entire planet. And I want to give you three reasons why we as people of faith need to care deeply about and for trees today. And um, here's the deal. Maybe you're here and maybe you're someone who say, "Um, I don't really think about the environment that much. I want to challenge you and help you begin to think more about it today. Uh, Maybe you're here today and you would say, well, I'm actually, um, it's all those kind of crazy environmentalist people that weird me out. Um, I want to help you become a crazy environmentalist person, right? And maybe you're here today and you would say, Um, I am one of those crazy environmentalist people, and I don't even think the two political parties in our country right now are thinking about the environment correctly. I want to help you see that thinking about this is not a political issue. It is a deeply spiritual issue for people of faith. So uh, let's walk through these Um, three reasons why we should care about uh, why people of faith should care about and for trees. Number one is because God 
made trees. And if we love God, we will love his creation. So the book of Genesis, uh, it's the first book of the Bible, says that when God was creating the world, here's what he did on the third day. It says this, then God said, let the land produce vegetation Seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. Now, we said this before here, um, Genesis 1 is not meant to be a scientific account. Remember, this is an ancient story. Um, It's not concerned with the precise and scientific how uh, the world was made. It's more about who made it and why he made it. If you want to understand how our world came into being, how life and all of this diversity came into being, if you want to understand the geology and the biology, read a geology textbook, read a biology textbook. They will tell you all about that. What this passage is saying is who is behind it all, that it's God. And that God probably used all of these natural resources or natural processes that we learn about in scientific textbooks and that we can now study and understand. But it was God who really is behind the whole idea of having these amazing plants and vegetation and flowers and trees in all of their diversity and in all of their beauty. And that as that process is unfolding, God stepped back and he saw that it was good. God saw all the plants and all the trees. And he said, those are good. The plants and trees are a good part of God's good creation. And of course, uh, we see that in the rest of the Bible, right? In the stories that we've been reading over the last couple of months. In the psalm that we just recited a few minutes ago, we see that even the trees worship their creator, God. The book of Isaiah says uh, that the, the trees one day will clap their hands. Trees are personified here in this very poetic passage. The trees will clap their hands and they will sing for joy before God. Or one day Jesus, this Jewish rabbi, is teaching his followers and he pulls them together and he says, look at the flowers in the field. And I picture Jesus sitting in a meadow in the Colorado mountains, right? And there's Indian paintbrush and columbines and asters and there's all these wildflowers. And he just points at him and he says, look at how beautiful they are, right? Look at how much the Father cares for them. And there's this sense of, Delight, Like, I think that's the best word. That God just, he delights in the beauty of his creation. He delights in the plants and the trees that he made. And that should cause all of us to pause and consider. If God made all of these plants and trees, and if God cares deeply about them, and if God himself delights in them, then should we not also? And if we don't care about them, if we don't delight in them, something that God deeply cares about and delights in, well, what would that say? Think about it this way. Here's an analogy. Um, I have three kids. And if you're a friend of mine and you know my kids, uh, then you know that I delight in my kids. 
most of the time. And, um, and I care deeply about them, right? And if you, as a friend of mine, don't care about my kids, if you neglect them, if you offend them, if you disrespect them, if you abuse them, you're not just harming them. You are deeply disrespecting me. You are deeply harming and offending me. And in the same way, when we don't care about God's creation, when we don't care about the plants and the trees that he made, when we see them as a convenient but disposable backdrop to our photographs, to be used and then dispensed with however we want, it's not just an offense to the trees. It is an offense to God himself. If we love God, we will love his creation. And this is why I think uh, people of faith um, should be a hundred times more passionate about caring for creation and caring for the environment than non-religious people should be. I mean, we should be out-greening Greenpeace. We should be out greening the green party, right? We, we, should, we should be doing all we can to love and care for and delight in the beauty of creation. Not because we worship trees, but because we worship the one who made the trees. And he cares for them. And he delights in them. And so we should too. Now, there's a second reason that people of faith should care deeply about trees and for trees. And it's this, because it is our role as humans. Uh, So Genesis 1 gives this creation story, and then Genesis 2 actually gives a different creation story. And it tells us that after God made the world and the plants and humans and all the animals, it really gives us a picture of what the role of humans is in our world. And here's what it says. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Uh, So there is this garden. We read about this when we talked about the tree of life a few weeks ago. And garden in Hebrew means an enclosure uh, or like a large park, right? Think about Rocky Mountain National Park. It has these boundaries and it's like a designated space. And really it's a designated sacred space because it's not just full of plants and trees. It's full of God. We're going to read later that this is where Adam and Eve are with God and he is with them in this place. And so it's not just Adam, by the way, it's just Adam in this part of the story. But in a few verses, God makes Eve as well. And he puts him in there because Adam is lonely. Adam needs community and Adam needs somebody to help him work and take care of the garden. And women are way better at taking care of things than guys are, right? So he puts Eve in there and Adam and Eve are there. And what does it mean to work and take care of the garden? Well, at the most base level, it means they're going to be gardeners. They're going to till the soil. They're going to have to plant seeds each year. They're going to have to prune the trees and the bushes. They'll have to irrigate to make sure 
that there's enough water. They're going to have to learn which trees and which bushes and which plants need a whole lot of sun and which ones don't need much sun. They're going to have to learn which ones need a lot of water and which ones don't. They're going to have to protect certain plants from bugs, right? They're going to have to weed the garden. They're going to have to do something about all the invasive species that somebody else brought into the garden that don't belong there, right? That are taking all the nutrients away from the ones that do belong there. They're going to have to learn how to build fences to keep all the pesky rabbits and squirrels and deer out of the garden, right? They're going to have to learn how to pick the fruits and vegetables when it's harvest time. This is what it means to be a gardener. And it's good work. Right? To some of us, that sounds like difficult work, but it's what they were made to do. But there's another layer to this. Because this isn't just a story about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve represent humanity. They represent all of us. And it's not just about the garden. The garden represents all of creation. It is the home that humans are given with which they can live in this place and in this sacred space with God himself. And they're given a task and a role while we live here. And it's found in these words to work and to take care of the garden. Now, let me talk about these two words really quick, because there's two Hebrew words uh, that are translated to work and to take care of. They're the words abad and shamar. The Old Testament's originally written in ancient Hebrew. And these two words are really common Hebrew words. They show up over 700 times uh, in the Old Testament. Abad means to work, uh, just like it's translated, to tend to, to cultivate. In an agricultural sense, it means to make things grow and to make things flourish. But more broadly speaking, this word abad, it's used over and over and over, overwhelmingly in the Old Testament to simply mean to serve. It means to serve something else or to serve someone else. To serve their interests, not mine. To serve for their benefit. It's used all throughout the book of Exodus when it talks about the Hebrew people. Are they going to abad Pharaoh? Are they serving Pharaoh, or are they going to be freed and liberated to abad God, to serve him? Joshua, when they come into the promised land, says, choose this day whom you will abad. Who will we serve? Are we going to serve the idols? Are we going to serve the other gods, or are we going to serve Yahweh? So abad means to serve. The second word, shamar, means to take care of something in the sense of guarding it. Or protecting it, keeping it safe. So shepherds shamar their flocks of sheep from the wolves. Uh, soldiers are given the responsibility to stand at the city gates and shamar the city, guard the city, protect the city against invaders. So a common way to translate this word shamar is to guard or protect or keep safe. But the most common way or one of the common ways is to preserve something, to preserve the life within. So these words together mean to serve and preserve. And this teaches us how we should think about 
this place that we call home, about the environment and the natural resources that we have been given, that part of our role as humans, there are other roles that we will have, but one of our most foundational roles is to serve and preserve the environment, the creation that God has given us. It's our responsibility. It is our mandate. And so we care about plants and we care about flowers and we care about trees, not just because God cares about them and not just because God made them, but because they're part of our home. They're part of the home that we've been given and we've been told, take care of this home, serve this home, preserve this home. Now, that leads to a third reason. That we as people of faith should care deeply about trees and the environment. And it's this, because our lives and our future depends on it. When we neglect our home, when we neglect the natural environment, when we abuse the natural environment, we are essentially destroying our own home. And to put it simply, uh, When trees don't flourish, we don't flourish. So the Old Testament tells stories about times where people are put into a new place. The most common one is when the Israelites are given this new land called the promised land. And this is going to be their new home. And they're told, take care of your home. Take care of the land that I have given you. And they don't. They neglect it. They overwork it. They try to make the land produce too much. They extract all of the nutrients from the land and they never replenish or renew it. And we're told that eventually the land turns on the people and it becomes an inhospitable place to live. It can no longer be their home. Or you get to the New Testament And the Apostle Paul, he writes this long letter called Romans. It's dense and theological, and he's talking about sin. But he often talks about sin, not just in a way that is we sin in a way that harms ourselves or we harm our relationship with God or we're hurting or harming other people. But he says it even affects all of creation, that we are harming and abusing and neglecting the creation home that we've been given And we won't read the specific passage, but he says in Romans chapter 8 that creation is groaning under the weight and the burden that we have placed upon it. That creation is in bondage to our abuse of it. And that one day creation will be liberated. And creation, again, is personified as waiting in hope for God to liberate it from our abuse. But you don't need the Bible to tell you all of this, right? We've seen plenty of headlines. We have plenty of information to know that we have neglected and abused the natural creation. Uh, We know what global climate change is currently doing. Of course, part of climate change is due to natural processes, but it's also pretty indisputable by now that there are massive human effects that are exacerbating climate change. 
And we could talk about all kinds of different areas of environmental neglect and abuse, but let's just talk about trees for a moment because that's what we've been focused on. The destruction of forests around the globe, especially old growth forests. So an old growth forest is a mature forest that's been around for a long time that has developed a really unique and complex canopy and ecosystem. The destruction of these forests are having a hugely detrimental effect on our home. Because old growth forests have a number of endemic species. Endemic means species that live only there. So when we destroy these forests, we're destroying those species and that life. They also have some of the greatest biodiversity on our planet. And so when we're threatening or destroying these forests, this biodiversity that exists there affects the wider climate and the wider environment in ways that we often can't measure, but we see only later in its consequences. But here's one of the biggest things. Old growth forests are one of the best carbon storage units that we have. We've all heard about carbon, right? And when we emit carbon into the atmosphere because of the burning of fossil fuels, um, basically what we're doing is we're heating up the atmosphere. It's the greenhouse effect, and that's increasing global warming, and all these terrible things are happening with global climate change. One of the greatest ways of mitigating that is through trees. Trees actually soak up carbon dioxide and they use it to grow and they turn it into food and then they release oxygen in the process. And so we continue to build factories and burn fossil fuels and not really care about it. And one of the only ways that we can mitigate that is through these forests and these trees. And we're cutting those down as well. The most harmful deforestation is happening in tropical places like Brazil and Indonesia, but it's also happening right here in the United States. In the last 20 years, in the U.S., we have lost 171,000 square miles of forests. That's almost twice the size the state of Colorado. Some of that is for natural reasons, like wildfires, but most of it is a result of logging uh, so that we can produce larger homes, more furniture, and more consumer products that very few of us actually need. And part of the reason we do it is because we think we have an endless supply of forests, but we don't. And so when we consume things thoughtlessly, we're actually destroying the very home that God gave us to live in. Here's what the UN Special Report on Climate Change and Land from 2019 said. This was a gathering of uh, respected scientists from all around the world. They stated unequivocally, our planet's future is inextricably tied to the future of its forests. So what do we do about this? Well, it is a massive global problem, and I don't have massive global answers or solutions for you today, right? Um, I'm not going to give you any answers or solutions. I'm sure there are some things we could all do. Um, There are some governmental policies we should probably support. Um, When we vote, we should consider uh, candidates' positions on the environment as an important issue, right? Especially as people of faith. 
I mean, if we think through what are the issues that are important, morally speaking or spiritually speaking, this is as moral or as spiritual as it gets. It should be an important issue. Uh, Businesses and industries should probably be held more accountable. But here's the deal. They can be held accountable by their employees. If you work in any place or business, you have a voice to ask questions about how are we as a business operating in ways that are sustainable and beneficial to the environment, not harmful. And even on a personal level, we can examine our own practices, right? What kind of cars we drive, what kind of products we're consuming. Here's a question we can all ask. If everyone on the planet lived the exact same way that I live, would that be sustainable? Or am I neglecting my own responsibility to serve and preserve the home that God gave all of us to live in? Now, I don't have, again, any easy or simple answers. But I do want to offer an example, I think, of hope. I want to show you a video in just a second. It's about nine minutes long. And it's what some followers of Jesus, some communities of faith are doing in Ethiopia, to serve and preserve God's creation. And and I don't want to show you this because I think we can do the same thing. We can't. You'll see their context is very different. Um, And what we should do as a community of faith or what we should do as followers of Jesus might look very different. But I want to show it to you because I just think it's so inspiring. And we need a little bit of inspiration right now. So take a look. In Ethiopian Orthodox teaching, a church, to be a church, should be enveloped by a forest. It should resemble the Garden of Eden. Hundred years ago, the highland was one big continuous forest. That big continuous forest has been eaten up by agriculture. It is a church who has protected this forest and who has safeguarded them from destruction. It's only because of the patronage and the blessing of the church this forest has survived. Church forests are always in my childhood memory. I used to go with my family for Sunday mass, for holidays. We have been always told that God gives mercy when you pray here. So the spiritual connectivity is so strong. The more I study them, the more I understand them, the more I see their problem their importance, their significance, and then I end up being hooked with this forest, you know. 
ለዚህ በየጽፋቶች ላይ እግዚአብሔር ኃይል አለ እግዚአብሔር ጸጋለ እግዚአብሔር በረከት አለ ስለዚህ አንዲትን ዛፍ የተከለ ሰው በተወዛወዘሽ ቁጥር እድሜውን ተለምነለታል ይችላል ታታኪ ደንኖችም ታታኪ ትውልድ እንደምናፈረው ሁላ የጸዋት ታታኪ ትውልዶችም ይሉ ሲወጡ ገና ይበላቸዋል ይበላቸዋል ያ ይያለቁ እነሱ ትልቁ ሲወድ ታታኪ ያጣና ደኑ ከንት ይሆናል እና አጥሩ በጣም ጣቃኝ የክርስቲያናችን እሷን ካጣሽ ግን ራሷን ታጣለች If you see the rural church they have a wall to protect the inner circle which people think that's the most sacred place so let's move that wall to the outside and include the forest as part of the church itself we are making a barrier not excluding humans a barrier against cattle grazing so that regeneration and the health of the forest can be sustained the church has been protecting the forest for centuries But the forest in turn has been in a guardian it was a kind of mutual benefiting the church itself were built from this forest the inner wall of the church has been painted and all those pictures scriptures and murals were made out of tree leaves roots barks and flowers 800 700 even 1000 years ago they are living by one another they are embedded to one another the church is within the forest the forest is inside the church In ecological term the whole is greater than the sum of its parts there are millions of other creatures there is so complicated sophisticated interaction you cannot explain because of the coexistence there is what we call emergent property is a new hybrid character the mystery is to think beyond what we see
there is a problem always, a misperception that this forest will stay forever. We don't have any other backup to safeguard the Ethiopian biodiversity. It is only the church forest. If we lose that, then that's all. Yalleka, yalleka, kamed, didn. And then the Dumbaru might have woke him. But I told you, the self, the self, what are two Goram Sagavari Simata, whether to give him a tars, and any Dumbaru Tafa. Nayadinga, water one, not of Mu, Captain Dagavam. The biggest challenge is to open the eyes of the community to shop. These forests are really disappearing. They think always they are there forever. Church forests are the blueprint. You can understand what kind of ecosystem, what kind of biodiversity, what kind of forest we had before. Everything is important and interlinked. So if you really care, we have to respect trees, the role of trees, and we have to learn to live with forests. We can bring back the landscape given that this church forest exists. That's my hope, that's my vision. <clears throat> I feel like that captures almost everything we've been talking about for the last couple of months that trees are indeed sacred, that God made them, that we can learn from them, that we're in fact deeply connected, that our lives are intertwined with their lives, and that we're given a responsibility to care for them, to serve them, to preserve them, and that when we do, we're doing what we were made to do, and we are participating in God's work in the world. The question I hope we begin to ask is, what does it look like for each one of us to also participate in that work as well? Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the beautiful creation that you made and that you gave to us to be stewards of. And it's so hard to know how we can serve and preserve it well. When we don't see what we're doing, perhaps when we live in a place like Colorado where there are so many beautiful forests still intact. But God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the way he loved people like us. And he called us to follow him in being a part of his renewal and redemption and restoration in this world. I pray this in your name. Amen.